0: You're listening to The Horror. Welcome to The Horror. Hi, I'm Owen Edgerton. I love horror movies. And I'm Russell Sharman, and I'm not such a fan. And this uh, this week <laughs> on The Horror, we're discussing what some people say was the first uh, horror movie to ever be nominated for uh, uh, Academy o- uh, Best Picture, Academy Award Best Picture nomination. I... That's debatable, but is The Exorcist. The Exorcist, an incredible film. Just a quick, for everyone to know, it was based on the novel by William Peter Blady. Uh, it was directed by William Friedkin, uh, 1973. Incredible film. The screenplay was also written by Blatty. One of my all-time favorite films about a young girl possessed by a demon, her mother, who uh, is desperately trying to find out what's wrong with her daughter, and the two Catholic priests who come to perform the exorcism. (sighs) Uh,
1: You know, it's interesting that you just gave the little plot summary as, as being about a little girl possessed by a demon. I might take issue with that that that's what this movie is about.
0: Oh, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. I mean, sh- funny enough, I-, I was actually, even in the re-watching, Reagan is not the protagonist. There are three protagonists in the movie and Reagan is not one of them.
1: <laughs> interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this one. Um, but before we do, you said something interesting and I just want to unpack it a little bit. Um, I'm going to say
0: so many interesting things. If you unpack every interesting thing.
1: I'm going to have your shit all over my floor. Um <laughs> So, uh, you said it's debatable. Do you mean it's debatable that it was the first horror movie nominated for best picture? You think some movies have been nominated that were miscategorized or, I,
0: you know, I, I, I don't know. It's like, it's a, it's an interesting thing of like, well, so of course, you know, Psycho wasn't, uh, nominated for best picture. So I guess actually I'm trying to think of, uh, uh films that were, wait, wait, you know, Rebecca, would you call Rebecca a, a horror film? Interesting.
1: That is an interesting question, given our ongoing conversation right. about if a movie is really good. Now, <laughs> well. F-
0: Freakin, Freakin himself said, didn't think of The Exorcist as a horror movie including saying it was nominated for a best picture. How could it be a horror movie?
1: See, I think this is why me and Billy Friedkin would get along, even though apparently he is a psychopath.
0: <laughs> I, whatever he is, he's brilliant. You know, he, he wrote the, his memoir, which has so many great stuff about the making of the exorcist and his, his bizarre way of making films. Uh, the Friedkin connection. I'm in love with the man.
1: <laughs> I have not. I have not read the book, but uh, I remember you recommending it to me. And I, I would love to the, look the the seventies. The new Hollywood of the, the late 60s and first half of the 70s has a very special place in my film heart. I know. So yeah. I go into this movie, obviously haven't seen it before, but revisiting it already sort of predisposed to love it. And I came out of it. Yes. Um, yes. With, with, with many, many thoughts. <laughs> One of them is okay, this movie, sorry, Billy, it's a horror movie. Like, I, I don't know that I could make the argument that I think I could make with, say, something like Rosemary's Baby, which is probably spurious and not, not legit. But, um, But this one, it's a horror movie. Like, there's no way around that. But having seen The Exorcist after having seen the first three that we, or the first four that we talked about, Not a Living Dead, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Thing, and A Nightmare on Elm Street. What it did do is reframe those and help me understand why they're all so bad.
0: Oh, Russell!
1: (laughs) And why this one is the horror movie that horror fans should expect from their film
0: Oh, that was a a bait and switch. You're just... Okay, okay. Well I I am I'm I'm really excited to to hear your thoughts on it. We should first of all clarify the version that we watched. There there's a, a few different versions of the Exorcist. Uh, we ended up watching what was uh called the version you've never seen, or I, I think you it was titled it was the same cut. It's called the full director's cut. Is that what you saw?
1: The the extended director's cut extended. is what is what my yeah. library had Available to me. Yeah,
0: that's interesting primarily because, I mean, the, the things that get added, there's a couple of extra shots at the very beginning before they go to Iraq, just like two shots of that the house in Georgetown and the Virgin. But And, and there's a couple of little added faces here and there, you know, freaking added in these little weird faces. Uh, but the major thing is at the very end, there's sort of an extension. It's a little bit of a happier ending. And that was a big thing for Blatty. and and freaking and also that conversation on the stairs of like why does god allow these demons you know what's going on to me
1: like that. when i found out because i did do i it is going to be my modus operandi on this podcast to resist doing any kind of research
0: just you don't want to pay for anything and you don't want to
1: I don't want to pay. I don't want to spend money on this, yeah. and I don't want to actually have to exert any intellectual energy good, good. outside of these conversations. This was
0: very but, uh, similar to our our writing partnership. That's the same sort of. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's so true.
0: Um, <laughs>
1: uh, so, so I did do I did do a little research just on the different versions. And one of the things that I found was that one of my favorite scenes in the movie is not in the theatrical release, which is that conversation on the stairs. So yes. we'll get to that.
0: Well, I I actually one of the reasons I'm super excited to talk to you about this, and I was like, oh my gosh, this this could be one of our best in some ways, is the the, the relationship between Blatty and Freakin'. Uh, Blatty ch- chose Freakin'. Uh, he's, he's like, I know there's other people who the studio wants. Uh, they were going out to all these, you know, top. Directors, and he goes. I want this guy freaking because he is going to fight for weird stuff. He's going to disagree with me. He is. Uh, he's kind of crazy. He wanted it, and freaking was an atheist. Bladdy, devout Catholic, devout Christian, and the two of them together. I think the combination, even the tension between them, is what makes a lot of what's great about this movie. And and, and we see the sort of bladdy side, freaking kind of like. I'm going to go over with the flatty on, on some of these things in this re-release that they put out, the one you just saw for when they put out it in 2000. Um, but that's part of the tension, I think, that makes this movie super, super cool. But all right, go for it. Why, what did you what did you think about the movie?
1: Well, I think in order for me to really speak to uh, how I feel about this movie, and, and again, I think a, a, I don't know that I would have responded in the same way to this film if I had not seen the movies that we've been discussing in the weeks prior. Yeah. I think somehow those really helped to frame my experience of The Exorcist in a way, and, and really enabled me to appreciate it in a way that I couldn't. Again, not because those movies. Hey, <laughs> are hey, <good>. it's it's <laughs>
0: it's easier to read Luke once you've read Matthew, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's easy
1: to appreciate Shakespeare after you've read a bunch of crap.
0: Oh uh, my God! That
1: is, okay, that and in, and in particular, it's coming off of a nightmare, and and in order for me to really speak to that, I, I guess I would rather start by having a bigger conversation about what do you consider horror? Like what makes a movie a horror movie?
0: So I don't have a, 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 a strict definition. One of the reasons I don't have a strict definition is because I'm annoyed when people try and make that distinction. Uh, I, I think I think why, I, the reason I have been is because in the past few years we've had this sort of constant debate that any time a horror movie starts to make money or gets really great critical response, people start to go, "Oh, it's not really horror." And this is horror fans as well as non-horror fans who do this. The Witch was a great example of people like, well, it's, you know, it's, it's an art house film. It's not really a horror film. Or, or people were trying to say that about us. You know, Jordan Peele was like, no, this is a horror movie. So I don't know. I would say it's a movie that a, a primary aspect of it are the thrills and chills and they evoke a sense of terror. I think that would probably be the easiest definition, something that evokes a sense of terror and horror.
1: Yeah, and I I can appreciate that uh, as a distinction. I don't know that everyone would be that thoughtful about their definition, but but I like the idea of at the, at the core of it should be evoking a sense of terror. And I am not, as a film lover, uh, and as a, I guess you'd call me a critic, I'm not opposed to a film evoking a sense of terror. Uh, there are plenty of films that I deeply appreciate, that evoke a sense of terror. The the work of Tarkovsky and, and Michael Hanukkah, who's a I'm a huge fan. What I think I love about The Exorcist, and and I and I and I say this knowing that it's ridiculous, but honestly, the the grotesque parts of the movie, the, the parts that we all know about, the puking the you know pea soup and uh, the head spinning and and so forth are my least favorite parts of it. I mean they're the least interesting to me but what's interesting to me are the questions this movie is asking and the questions are connected to ideas and even realities that terrify me that that have a, at their core a sense of reckoning with what truly scares us what what is terrifying to us the nature of evil our own you know whether we struggle with it or not our own relationship to faith the the relationship of these characters to each other and to their faith. Like all those kinds of things are super interesting. And it seems to me, and and we can get into the details of the film, but it seems to me Friedkin does this really interesting thing where he gives us just these moments of visual terror. And they're really just moments. In fact, there's several times in in the movie when either it doesn't happen on screen, it's just referred to later, or if it does, it's, it's less than a moment. There's just a, an image and then it goes away and you wonder, well, how did that scene resolve? <laughs> how did they, how'd they get her off the floor when she's curled over backwards and puking up blood? Like how did they get her back in the bedroom? Like that, the aftermath <laughs> of those moments he doesn't even deal with. Because I think he's interested in more than just momentary shock. Uh, these sort of visual images and more interested in getting under our skin and making us ask important questions. I don't think, for example, a movie like a nightmare on Elm street is really interested in anything other than those visual shock moments.
0: So I, 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 I think, you're not completely wrong, but you're definitely not correct. <laughs> so um, so there, there's for one thing, I, I think you're right that this movie does deal with like some very cool, wild issues. Uh, they're definitely interested in issues that, for example, Blatty was very interested in. And and the stuff that you, you already noticed that Blatty put in the script, that in the first freaking, especially in the early 70s, was much less interested in. But this movie, I always considered this movie uh, to be one of the two parents of modern American horror. Uh, I, as I mentioned before, the other being Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The difference is this one was based on a bestseller. This one had uh, a big studio, big budget behind it. This one had bigger names, not not a lot, but at least some sort of bigger names behind it. But it's still, it, in the same way, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre surprised us. I'm like, oh my God, you're going to places we're not supposed to go to. This one does too a freaking urge Blatty of like, don't take out the stuff that you have in your novel where there's a girl, you know, uh, masturbating is the wrong word, you know?
1: Totally wrong word. I've I've heard that description of that scene before. Yeah. And that is not what's happening. It's
0: not, exactly. Like uh, that horrible sort of stabbing sequence with a crucifix and, and the language uh, there that is, is really just so horrific. And it's like, oh my God, how how is it that a studio is letting us see these things? How, like, it's going to places that it's totally shocking us. And and freaking was fascinated with that. He's fascinated with, like, totally shocking us. In some ways, I would say more shocking moments like that than maybe Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That There's some really, really terrifying things. But there is what you're talking about, like, these questions of the nature of evil, uh, the the fear of who we are. Again, I would say, like, all the horror movies that we've been watching, there's a sense of, like, what you think is trustworthy is going to let you down, and this one part of this maybe the scariest stuff is the science, the tests that have been done again and again, spinal tap, and oh, absolutely, yeah, all these things on on young Reagan.
1: I loved that whole notion that somehow you know, knowing where you know, what the title of the film is, if you've never seen it before, the exorcism is the last third of the movie. Oh my effect. gosh, yeah, the first two thirds is the the. The horror show of modern medicine, the the machine that, the, and it, I, doubtless it was an actual apparatus they used in the seventies, uh, whatever that that PET scan was of her brain was the most grotesque, terrifying moment for me uh, up to that point in the film. Yes.
0: Also, it was extended for the for the cut that you watch. Also, a quick little side note. Of- to not to waste too much time, another freaking movie was called Cruising. Cruising was based on this uh, serial killer who was stalking in New York the S&M gay clubs uh, of, of New York. Like with Al Pacino. With yes. Al Pacino, that's right. And an interesting thing is they they accused a guy, they arrested a guy for, for the crimes that the movie's based on, lightly based on. And the guy that they accused, uh, who confessed to these crimes, is in that scene. He plays one of the people, the actual man, he plays one of the uh, techs working on those machines because he was a tech working, he was like he wasn't cast as an actor. He was just there and he said, Yeah, I can operate it. Me and, and he was a tech, and he was charged with the these brutal murders at SM clubs around New York. Isn't that amazing?
1: That that is amazing. Uh and yeah. and in some ways fits with one of the things I really appreciate about this movie is, is again, Freakin is a master filmmaker. Yes. Whether or not you like The Exorcist, you know you're in good hands from the opening shots.
0: The, the cinematography is so beautiful. That, that's one of the things. Like, you trust the filmmaking, and you trust the filmmaker, and, and then they shows you something. You're like, oh, my God, what? What did they just see? That that doesn't belong in a movie like this, I, you know. And,
1: and one of the the I think the the great things about it is is the acting.
0: Oh,
1: obviously you've got Ellen Burstyn, you've got Max von Sydow, you've got some great actors. But it's clear that it's a director who knows how to bring great performances out of those actors. Uh, it in ways it felt almost like a documentary, and I'm sure that's what was mostly terrifying about it, especially in its day. Uh, was that feeling of this feels too real?
0: Too real. Well, Freakin got a start as a documentary like maker. That's what he did. He did uh, you know small documentaries. He was also though you know we talked about him being a little crazy. There was the fellow who plays um, the priest who gives you know takes the last confession, Father Dyer. Uh, Father Dyer was actually a real priest. That's a that, that man who plays that role is a real priest, and it was during that scene. At the end, he's like, I, I don't know. I can't really do this big emotion. I don't know how to do it. And freaking says in his own memoir, he says he did this a couple of times. He said, went up to the guy and said, Do you trust me? Because, like, yeah, yeah, I trust you, uh, Billy. <laughs> and freaking slapped him and said, Roll camera. And he's like, Oh, <laughs> 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 which, which sounds kind of. Awful! It's meant to sound like, and that's you know that's what we did for film. I'm like, no, I don't think you have to slap your actors.
1: <laughs> like, right. Well, this is why I don't want to hang out with Friedkin, but I'll watch his movies.
0: Supposedly he lied to Jason Miller. Said, yeah, yeah, yeah. This pea soup vomit. It's gonna, it's gonna throw. It's gonna land on your chest. Land on your chest. And then whispered, throw it on his face. Get it into his mouth. <laughs>
1: it's just yeah yeah well so to get back to oh oh,
0: oh, but no sorry the the one last thing i was going to say uh the the film critic pauline kale she she did not like this movie she said you know what's amazing about this movie is it converted everyone to catholics like all of a sudden we all believe in this devil we all believe this what and she thought that was an interesting thing that the movie somehow kind of kind of made us like if, if you don't believe in the devil then what's the point of the movie? I don't don't agree with her completely, but I thought that was kind of interesting saying what you're saying.
1: Well, sure. It also sort of undermines the whole idea of the willing suspension of disbelief. I mean, I don't believe in space aliens necessarily. Well, that's probably a bold statement. I'm sure they're extraterrestrial life. (laughs) But I don't believe in robots that can transform into cars. Uh, but I'll still go see the tra- nope. That's a bad example. Yeah, that's too. I'm not good. going through the Transformers. I don't believe in superheroes, oh. but I'll go see the Avengers. Okay, okay. that works. Wow. Um, so to get back to my bigger point,
0: I see superheroes every day, and then the, they're the volunteers uh, <laughs> that help out people all across the world. So. Oh
1: geez, right, right. Um, <laughs> so I think what's what's great about the Exorcist coming as our our fifth episode in is that it gives me the opportunity to say, okay, look, it's not that I don't like horror movies. It's, it's that I don't think that most entries into what we consider the horror genre take seriously good cinematic storytelling. And I think the reason they don't is that most audiences have come to the theater or to the streaming platform for that visual shock value and have allowed narrative structure, good cinematography, good characterization, good acting to atrophy, just looking for the next fix of something that's visually arresting or shocking. I know that's a blatant statement, but I think that's my struggle with a lot of what passes for horror. And I think in some ways it goes back to our conversation about pornography. I feel like you know if if uh, if the horror genre is is if there's a corollary to pornography, uh, I feel like The Exorcist is that great '70s romance that has a few (laughs) sex scenes, but it's really about the relationships. (laughs) And a lot of modern horror, it's just hardcore porn.
0: Uh, well, I I guess we're we're not watching Hostel yet, but we'll we'll get there. Um, That's so yeah, I. I mean you're wrong I, I think maybe you know you're wrong i don't know do do, do people know they're wrong but <laughs> i think i hear what you're saying in the fact like for example there's there's a pop novel and then there's the literary novel and uh and you can t- definitely take the pop novel and go gosh this doesn't have uh the same kind of beauty sentence a sentence that the literary novel has but it has a kind of sensibility that's brilliant Maybe even a different way of putting this, and this is why I would argue for the brilliance of movies like A Nightmare on Elm Street, and without taking away from the brilliance of The Exorcist, which is one of my favorite films of all time, to say this, like, without a doubt, sure, there's some, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre has some bumpiness and and problems like that, and also some technical aspects that are not fully realized, whether because of budget or otherwise. I would say, though, I love Bob Dylan. I love Doug, Bob Dylan's voice. Now, I'm sure, someone could totally make an argument that his voice is is not the most trained or perfect voice, but it just has such a a sparkling personality that I adore it. And I think I feel that same way about so much of the of the horror that we've been watching. <clears throat> <laughs> First of all, don't don't you dare insult Bob Dylan no, no. that's what you're thinking no, about no, fan
1: of Bob Dylan I I'm, I'm work I'm working hard to figure out the the connection between your appreciation for Bob Dylan and your appreciation for a nightmare in Elm Street
0: okay so or in on Elm Street you said like there's some clunky filmmaking here you know gosh that this is you know I'm seeing like low budget or not low budget that but you're saying like felt that this doesn't have all, all the the intricacies that should be part of a quality film and and I'm like no it it it's got its own thing going. It's like it, it's I, – I agree that maybe it's not the fine-tuned machine that can be beautiful uh, in, in many ways. But also could – just because it's a fine-tuned machine doesn't mean it's actually making a car driving in an interesting direction. Um, so Dylan – Okay, so
1: here's here's where I take issue. Yeah. Here's where I take issue. And this is why I was having a trouble figuring out your connection. Because to me, Dylan, if you don't like his voice, you don't like his voice, though, I think a good uh, – uh, a Dylan fan understands that his voice has actually changed over time, but he is undeniable his songwriting ability, right? So his attention to craft in terms of song construction has nothing to do with the quality or timbre of his voice, whether, you know, take it or leave it. I, and I think what I'm saying is I think your appreciation for a nightmare on Elm Street is more like your love of the monkeys than it oh, is like damn. your love of Bob Dylan. I think you like, that sort of poppy hooky aspect to it, quality be damned because you like it and you know who's gonna tell you you can't like something?
0: Okay, I, I think I can agree with that except for the statement quality be damned. like <laughs> there are bad pop horror movies and maybe that's the sort of thing of like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and uh, Nightman Elm Street, that whole series is pop. You know, it's got a pop sensibility uh, that really works and is super fun. Uh, That goes for the same for the Halloween movies, for the, uh, you know, uh, Friday the 13th movies. There's a pop sensibility to them. Uh, Now... The Exorcist doesn't have a pop sensibility to it, uh, I, I, and I love it as well. But yeah, I adore that pop sensibility. I wonder if you're mistaking that pop sensibility for being something different than quality. If you're kind of like, "Hey, it's a paperback book, uh, it or oh, it's got a drum beat. Uh, how can it be classic if it's got drums?" You know what I mean?
1: I do. I do understand what you're saying, and and I certainly would never. I'm I'm certainly not judging you for liking them, and I certainly <laughs> wouldn't say uh, that someone who loves nightmare on elm street you know has poor taste but what i I am saying you would
0: you would definitely say no in
1: the same way that people who you know if you watch porn you know more power to you i don't appreciate it i think that it's often objectifying and exploitative but (laughs) if it's your thing go for it i have no problem with other people consuming that
0: you're like this is this is how you don't judge this this is your non-judgmental style yeah okay
1: I just don't, I don't appreciate it. I yeah. don't get it. I don't, I see it as again, exploitative and a bit lazy in terms of storytelling.
0: Are we talking about porn or Nightmare on Elm Street?
1: I think the, or both. the line has become blurred <laughs> uh, to the point of not mattering, but I, th- this is why I don't like quarter. And this is why ultimately, this is just about a difference of opinion, right? I, I, this is why I'm trying, I'm trying to make a distinction Between how I feel about these movies, and a sort of objective ontological argument that uh, you you know that that they are bad in and of themselves, yeah, Um, I'm trying to explain why I think they're bad. But I I do like (laughs) when I when I when I throw the monkeys under the bus. A lot of people love the monkeys. And, you know, if if uh, Last Train of Clarks- Clarksville comes on, I- I'll dance to it. I, I get it. <laughs> but I don't own any of their albums. I, I don't hold them up as a paragon of uh, musical perfection. But, well, I, th- um, I think
0: we've got our our next podcast series. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll go through the whole monkeys over
0: I would love that. And and maybe
1: maybe I'm fooling myself. Maybe I am uh maybe I am saying that they are ontologically bad. Um I don't think so. I really don't think so. What I'm saying is having watched The Exorcist, watching a film by someone who I consider a sort of master at the craft of filmmaking helped me to see how for example, A Nightmare on Elm Street basically took all of the the sort of uh, Linda Blair head spinning bits and tried to make a movie out of those. Whereas Freakin seemed to understand that those things only have power if we also were with Max von Sydow in Iraq. We also were with Father Karras and his mother and visiting her in the hospital. Didn't even get to see her death scene, but know how much that will impact him emotionally. Got to see Ellen Burstyn playing with her daughter and yet also feeling guilty because she's a working actor who doesn't have a lot of time for her daughter. Like all that stuff is what makes those scenes as powerful as they are, not just because her head spins around.
0: Right. Yeah, you yeah, know, I hear that. Uh, and so it's a pity that you missed all that in uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street. That's I, you know, it's, I'm sorry for you. But, you know, you know, my son is colorblind and I still love him. Is, is Oscar colorblind? yeah. Yeah, um, uh, but okay, okay. So stay. I I hear your points, and I, I I do get it. I get it. The Exorcist, by the way, does have one of the things again about that new Hollywood. Uh, that whole sequence in Iraq at the beginning—that's so bizarre. Oh, like, I don't it, I don't remember that at all from well, this movie. Partially because nothing happens there. You know, he he's he's walking around. You know, he's kind of based on uh, Tillyard de Chardin. This is the kind of the, absolutely. That yeah. Yes,
1: the Catholic archaeology.
0: Right. And he finds that Catholic saint, you know, the medal, the little Catholic medal thing, and then he's like, "Oh boy, I'm sick and there's a demon." But but like plot-wise, there's nothing that actually happens and and it's pretty fascinating that I I I just don't know today if if you could get away with letting that happen in a movie.
1: Absolutely you couldn't, especially not in a studio film. But what it does do well, first of all, uh, sitting in Iraq with Max von Sydow, uh it was a pure joy. I had a big oh, smile on my face the whole me time too, me too. because it made me think, well, obviously, you know, uh, Spielberg and Lucas just ripped this off. I mean, this is, this is Indiana Jones. This, this is uh, Lawrence of Arabia. This, and this is a horror movie. And this is what I mean by feeling like I was in, in good hands as a, yep. as a filmmaker, but what it does do is it sets a tone Yes, and it, it creates an atmosphere that then carries over. And then you know when you go to Georgetown that you are in a much bigger context. Yep. And, and when you start to hear the sounds in the attic, which are never explained, nope. when you when you get the little reference to the Ouija board, which is never picked up again, nope. um, you know it's part of this bigger story yeah. about evil and faith and reckoning with uh, what we believe and what we don't believe, and
0: it's centuries um, old. You know this, the, or more millennium old. Yeah, yeah, th- it's so good in that way.
1: And in terms of of plot, if you want to consider it, this, I mean, the, the I believe it's a, it's a Saint Christopher medal that he finds in the site in Iraq, mm-hmm. and it's that's what. Father Karras is wearing that is ripped off his neck and then um, is kept by um, Ellen Burson's character.
0: Only in this version, in the original version, she gives it to the other priest and he holds it. And that's the end.
1: Oh, interesting. Either way though, there is a sort of implication of, well, wait, did he go back in time? Is this right. the same metal? Is it- it's meant to
0: be the same metal. Oh, yeah. Um,
1: and that is sort of, it's one of those lingering questions that don't get answered that that sort of play tricks on your mind
0: let me ask you this because I, I know we're getting close to the end here but i i'm curious about this one so this movie again I, what i loved about it uh, i think so much is is the blatty and Freakin's different views on stuff and so th- there was a lot of question at the end of like who won did the devil win you know what, what won the, the, the devil was trying to get karis you know so who won uh, as a person of faith how how do you read this movie
1: well, first of all, I think um, it's a fantastic exploration of of the nature of faith, and confronting what we can't explain. So Father Karras' character, I think, is this beautiful expression of a man of faith who is struggling with that faith. I mean, obviously, he says that out loud. I, I think I've lost my faith. Yeah, and and then having to confront something he cannot explain, and then you know, obviously, there's this sort of Christ imagery that happens at the end where he sacrifices himself to save the child and there's also you know this kind of it occurred to me in the moment there's a there's a passage in the new testament when jesus comes upon a demon possessed man And the demons uh, are actually called Legion. There are so many. And they ask um, to be thrown into a herd of pigs. And the pigs rush into the water and drown themselves. It's always a very perplexing story to me. But it immediately made me think of of that that moment uh, when Father Karras says, take me instead, and has just enough of his own consciousness to throw himself out the window. At least that's how I read it, um, in order to vanquish the demon so i see it as victorious um my reading of it uh is that father caris in his final act of faith um takes on this demon or satan or whatever it is and and then sacrifices himself to save the girl which to me is a, again a kind of beautiful expression of of faith and and to go back to and 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 maybe this is a preview of our our you know Best scene, worst scene. My favorite scene is the is that quiet moment on the stairs mm. when Father Karis says, "Why this girl?" Which is a question I've been asking the the whole time. <laughs> uh, why this girl? The freaking and Blatty never really delve into that. There's the, again the reference to the Ouija board. Uh, maybe that's it, but there's no explanation. There's no reason why this girl should be possessed. And and I know this this again. this scene was not in the original version and it's a shame because it to me underscores what the movie is about and uh the father marin's response is to tempt us to despair to to make us doubt the possibility that god could possibly love us yeah and and that to me is powerful and terrifying in a way and that is why i appreciate this movie so much and i'm still willing to call it a horror movie <laughs> And it's the kind of horror movie that that people who who might say, I don't like scary movies, I don't like horror movies. I would recommend trying to sit with it because of these big questions that it forces us to ask. Mm. And in a way, I think ultimately w- what I'm saying with this film is that this is the kind of film that true horror fans should demand from their filmmakers. And And I will say this too. I think that your films do this. I think the three films that you've made at least the first and the third, uh, Follow and uh, Mercy Black, ask these really important questions. Ask these questions that force us to reckon with who we are. They ask deep questions. And and even the second one, Bloodfest, which is more a kind of meta meditation on your love of the genre, has some interesting things to say. And and that's the kind of filmmaking that I think that horror fans should expect uh, instead of just sort of being satisfied with a lot of uh, jump scares and gore. You know,
0: um, thank you for that compliment. I got to say, uh, hearing you talk about Wes Craven movies makes me doubt that God could love us. <laughs> 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 um, so I, I I, wish, I think, you know, I think I know you talked about, I'm not sure if you wanted to hang out with uh, Freakin. I think you and William Peter Blatty would really like it. Blatty's passed, but I think you guys would have gotten along.
1: So many of the... People we talk about in this podcast have passed away. Yeah, I know. Um, it's a dangerous profession.
0: Yes. Just being alive is dangerous. Let me quickly take you through the the sequels of the Exorcist. This I've realized now that I would like to have a segment at the end where I can take you through the sequels <laughs> of of the different different films that we're discussing. Is that okay? Can we do that? Please. And then
1: I can then I can talk about how I'm not going to see any. I mean, especially this one. There's a because there's a part of me that's like I don't want to in any way taint my experience of The Exorcist with poor quality knockoffs.
0: You said taint. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I think you can get away with uh, not seeing any any of the sequels. But but let me give just get let you let you in on a little bit of them. So the second one was uh The Exorcist the Heretic. Um it, it was a very big budget film. Uh it did not do so well. Actually I'm gonna revisit it again sometime soon. It's been a very long time. I think I might have seen it in the Theaters of my parents. That's disturbing. Then, William Peter Blatty, who wrote the first one, wrote the book. He made the third one, which uh, is called With the Exodus Three. But he, I think he based it on his novel, Legion. So it's very interesting that you were referencing the story of, of uh, uh, Jesus uh, removing Legion from the man and sending him into the pigs. That one is. Uh, It is a cool movie. I really, really dig it. Um, And it's also cool because it also has Jason Miller in it. And he just didn't do a lot of movies, but he's in that one for a little while. And it also has this one jump scare. And and fans of the horror movie genre know the jump scare I'm talking about. Even if you just see this one jump scare, it's beautiful. It's just so beautiful. Uh, And then, this is kind of interesting, then they made a, a prequel. Paul Schrader directed something called Dominion prequel to The Exorcist. He made the film. The producer said, you know what? This looks kind of dull. We're going to can it. We're not going to do it. Take the same script. Just you know, uh, shine it up a little, make it a little more sexy, and refilm it with a different director, same lead, and they made it Exorcist: The Beginning. Released that one, it didn't do so well, got kind of bad reviews. So Paul Schrader said, "Can I release mine now?" They said, "Okay, why not?" So we have two prequels, basically the same plot, um, and Paul Schrader's did a little bit better. So yeah, that's that's all the sequels so far, not counting the TV show. Oh, there's a TV show. There was a TV show, yes. <laughs> Uh, okay, so um, so you love this movie. So it's a little weird to ask you what was one scene that you loved. You already mentioned. No, that. no let me let me let me be clear. <laughs> love you love this movie.
1: What I'm saying is you love you love this movie. What I'm saying is I deeply appreciate Friedkin's take on the genre in the same way that I deeply appreciate Polanski's take on it in Rosemary's Baby, as I also appreciate Kubrick's take uh, with The Shining. To me, these sort of stand out as exceptions to the rule. And for those who don't love horror like me, I, I'm not saying run out and see The Exorcist. It will change your mind. But there's a lot to love about this movie. And, and a lot of it has to do, again, with my own fascination with this period in Hollywood filmmaking and Friedkin being a really important part of that story coming right off of um, The French Connection and sort of being a part of, of what shook up the, the style of Hollywood at the time. So having said all of that, I still go back to my favorite scene is the quiet one on the stairs. That again, apparently was not in the original release where the two priests talk about you know, sort of the nature of evil and why, essentially why do bad things happen to good people? I love that this movie does not uh, run away from that question. It doesn't necessarily answer it clearly, but that's okay. And ultimately why I think, as I said in the beginning, this movie isn't about the kid. It's called The Exorcist. Yeah, I think it's Father Karras's story more than anyone else's. I agree. Though so the fact that we begin with Father Marin in, in Iraq
0: and then don't see him again until half an hour before the end of the film, yeah,
1: absolutely, yes. But I think it's a it's the story of a priest struggling with his faith and almost like the penitent thief on the cross. Sort of regaining it in the last moments of his life.
0: Mm. Okay, I, I, uh, everything you say. By the way, a couple of thoughts, just really quickly. I, I the pop sensibility. Don't, don't, just something because something has a great melody, doesn't mean that you you have to think it's not great art. And I recently read.
1: I'm gonna run out and buy the Hanson's
0: album. <laughs> it's a good, al- it's a good album. Uh, and uh, I just recently read a Fellini quote when he was uh, in the process of making Satyricon and he was talking about uh, just sort of the, the view of thinking through Roman culture and everything like that. He says, you know, it's it's only, it's not pornography unless you look at it as pornography. It's just, pictures and images. The pornography is what we have inside of us. We make something pornography because of how we see it. It says, I'm growing up in a Catholic nation. So much is pornography, not because it necessarily is by its nature, but because the way we as a Catholic people are viewing it. Russell Sharman, you see everything as pornography because you're full of pornography.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't see everything as pornography.
0: Um, my least favorite part, uh, it, and this is hard because I just adore this film. I actually adore Order of the Different Cuts, so I'm, I'm kind of cheating here. But in the uh, initial DVD release, they had the extended last scene uh, of, uh, of the father... Father Dyer and Lieutenant Kinderman, the you know sort of meeting going off to the movies together. DJ Cobb, by the way, amazing actor. Oh, such an amazing actor! And it ended on this line. It ended on Kinderman saying, "I believe this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship." <laughs> that's that's how that scene initially ended, and in the re-release they 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 fade out before them. But if I have to choose, that line would have been <laughs> my least favorite.
1: I would have been right there with you. Although you know it's interesting because so much of this film is about filmmaking. Yep. You know we meet our Ellen Burstyn's character is an actor on a film set. Well, you don't meet her there, but um, one of the early scenes, the cop who's obsessed with film. You know, it's it's interesting that Friedkin, the director who dies, sure, sort of allow allow that in in an interesting way.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. All right, um, are you uh, are you ready for your next assignment? Um, sure. Lay it on me. Oh. I'm so excited about this. Now, we have, we have gone through some of the very best horror films, maybe the very best films of all time. And, uh, and it, it's been nice getting you some training wheels on you, Russell, of like, okay. And although you're not seeing it, the rest of us out in, in, in the world are seeing you open your eyes. It's not that The Exorcist is so much better than these other movies. It's that suddenly you're waking up. No, no. You know what? No. You can't see the stars. No. You can't see no. the stars until you open those eyes. It's islands. helping me to see
1: how bad those other movies are. Sure, sure it is.
0: Yeah, sure, sure. It's a journey. <laughs> it's a journey. You know,
1: I, I feel like we should do a corollary podcast, but it should be about you introducing me to porn because that's what this feels like right now.
0: <laughs> okay. So, well, you're really going to, even better. The next film I, I'm assigning you it might be kind of difficult to find is Basket Case.
1: I know nothing about this except that title, and I am not excited. It's,
0: Basket Case, I think, was also nominated for a uh, Best Picture. Um, I, you know, I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure about that, but I think maybe.
1: Um well, I think it was Coppola it was <laughs> Coppola. Was trying to follow up from Freaking.
0: Uh, no, it's it, it's it's definitely a, a Hennenlauter. It's Frank Helen who who wrote and directed it. So I think, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to you watching. All
1: right, again, I know nothing about this film. Never heard of it. Um, you could be making it up. Oh,
0: I now. wish I so wish I could make it up. I I I don't have the imagination. Uh, okay, sweet. Here we go. <laughs> and that's. The horror. You
1: can reach Owen Edgerton on Twitter. Yes, O
0: W E N underscore E G E R T O N, and you can reach Russell. Indeed, at uh, at Russell Sharman. Uh, we also have an email for any listener
1: feedback. Uh, the Horror Pod at Gmail. Send us any uh, emails, any long diatribes, rants against my opinions. Uh, we welcome them.
0: The Horror Pod. That sounds awesome. Maybe we should rename the podcast the Horror Pod. I
1: love that Owen is obviously just hearing about our email account right now.
0: I, I did not know we had that. That's awesome. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Uh, until next time, thanks so much for listening.